Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Of MMQB, he joins us every single hump day on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, the legendary Albert Breer. Albert, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Nick. How you doing? We're doing all right, man. Um, I, I feel like at points I've, I've gotten to dark places this week because the Browns are eliminated from the playoffs. Um, so I'm curious. where, Because I, I know internally here in Cleveland where we're placing blame, where fans are placing blame. From the yeah. outsider perspective, where are people around the NFL placing the blame for another disappointing Browns season? Yeah, I think with the, I would say the bigger question is what becomes of the Deshaun Watson trade long term, you know, and and kind of um, what we've seen over the last few weeks means long term, and whether or not you can just chalk it up to um, him being rusty and you know him having been out of football for two years, or is there a larger problem here? And I, I, I tend to think like you know Deshaun's going to be okay, um, and you know I think he just needs the reps and he needs to kind of, you know, get back into the groove of being an NFL quarterback, and that was always going to take time. Um, you know, but I, I think most of the focus nationally is probably on the quarterback. I, I don't know that, you know, Kevin Stefanski is in any sort of trouble. Um, you know, but I, I certainly think the other piece of this is, the you know, the, the, where, where, where his coaching staff stands and where that piece of all of this goes next, you know. And so, um, I mean, look, like, you know, there are two levels to this every year, and you know, I, I know when you're hyper-focused on one team the way people, you know, who, who root for one team are, you know, you don't, like, really see this. But, you know, in a lot of cases, nationally, the way I look at it is there's two levels to there being changes in their organization. And, you know, it's either, you know, a total leadership change, whether it's the head coach, the GM, or both, or there's tweaking that needs to go on. And there are a lot of teams that fall into both categories every year. And I would say the the Browns are probably right now more in the latter category, at least perception wise, uh, that they need tweaking, not the complete overhaul yet. All right, Albert. This brings me to Paul D. Podesta. Can yeah. you can you tell me what Paul D. Podesta does? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Um, I would say, you know, I, I think the best way to put it, like, is he he creates guardrails in the organization, and um, you know, I. I know over the years, and he's been there now. I mean, God, it's like what, been nine years now? Is that right? No, seven years. I think time's a flat circle. Right? <laughs> I, I think I think it's seven years. So I, you know, I, I think 
Um, well, one of the main things that Paul DiVodesta does is he creates guardrails for the organization. And he, um, you know, he kind of, I, I think, establishes, you know, what is within the boundaries and what's outside of the boundaries. And, you know, I, I think that goes for everything from personnel decisions to game management. And I know, like, when, you know, guys have come through there to interview for that job over the years, you know, one of the main questions they usually have is what's the involvement of, of, of Paul DePodest? And in a lot of cases, they'll balk at the idea of him, like, say, being on the headsets on Sunday, you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think it's sort of a an ownership initiative that they were going to be really involved with analytics, and that was, you know, so going back to when they hired Sashi Brown and, and when they elevated Sashi Brown to to run the football operation in 2016. You know, and obviously, you know, I think Paul DePodesta has been sort of part and parcel to that um, to that vision all along. Why? Why specifically Paul DePodesta? Like, because I because we look at his overall record, and I think he's yeah. lost twice as Not many great. games as they've won. <laughs> yeah. So, what special hold does Paul DePodesta have? You know, yeah, you know, what's interesting. Like, sometimes you have these guys in organizations that always have a way of surviving. You know, and I know, like, a lot of times, like, that's what frustrates, like, the football people, you know, the more traditional scouts, the coaches, with some of these guys who work in that area, you know, is that, you know, they always have a way of not being really responsible for wins and losses, you know, and so, like, this can go wrong or that can go wrong, and, you know, magically, it's like, because they didn't listen to that person, you know, like, um, and, you know, whereas, like, a general manager or a coach, you know, his name is on everything a team does. And so three, four years in, like, you know, and if not sooner, you're going to get an assessment on that guy based on what's happened with the team and the win-loss record primarily. Um, you know, I, I do think because of the way things worked there over DePodesta's first few years, he was able to sort of not be held responsible for a lot of things that happened within their organization. And, you know, if you look at it, like, for – a long time, um, Jimmy Haslam had a way of sort of splitting it, right? Like where it was like, okay, we're going to have the analytics guy over here and we're going to have the football guy over here, and then we'll have more numbers over here and we'll have more traditional football over here, and this is the way it's going to work. And if you look, like you can see it. Like you go back and you, you say, okay, like in 16, they elevated Sashi Brown, which was, you know, quote-unquote an analytics move, right? But then they brought in a traditional football coach in Hugh Jackson. You know, then, you know, a few years after that, they, you know, they go to John Dorsey and John Dorsey's kind of like, all right, we're going to get back in traditional scouting. And John Dorsey winds up um, keeping Freddie Kitchens as the head coach. And that was like, okay, like now they're going to be more of a traditional football setup. Well, in that setup, Paul DePodesta was sort of seen as the guy who was on an island, you know, holding on to that vision a little bit. Um, you know, this regime, this current regime with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, at least from a perception standpoint, is the only one that's been sort of all in on the deep Podesta idea, you know? And so, like, I think this, this is probably where the rubber meets the road to some degree for Paul deep Podesta, where maybe he will actually be held responsible for wins and losses. But because of the way it had been set up through the years, like, Paul deep Podesta was always able to kind of be there as a guy who – like sort of made, made suggestions and gave people ideas and gave people numbers, but was never responsible for the win-loss record. Whereas now I feel like with, you know, Barry and with, you know, with Stavansky, and I, I, 
look, like, I don't think it's fair that we like really refer to those guys as analytics guys either. Cause I think if you look at Andrew Barry's background and Stefanski's background, they have a lot of traditional football in there too, but at least from a perception standpoint, now you look at it and you say, those guys are a little bit more in with deep vision than some of the guys that were there previously running the show. So just kind of thinking out loud, and I, I know Paul yeah. got a, uh, a contract extension a year ago or two years ago, but do you think there's a scenario in which Paul's role is de-emphasized and maybe Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are given, I would say, more power but more yeah. control? I, 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 I'd say it's hard because I just think, look, like everybody's history precedes them, right? And so – I do think, like, to some degree, um, you know, when there's a guy in the organization who's had power before, like the Eagles ran into this with Howie Roseman, right? When there's a guy in the organization who's had power before, who clearly has the owner's ear, even if you take that power away, that guy's sort of lurking in the background, you know, when you're letting other people make decisions. And I, and I do feel like if they were going to try to distance themselves from what Paul DePodesta does, and, you know, the, 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 the consulting that Paul DePodesta has given them, um, then I think it would make more sense just to get him out of the building altogether, to be honest with you, just because I, like, I just don't – I understand where it's like you still want him as a resource there, but maybe not like having a hammer. It's really hard to pull that off after the guy's already had power. Um, and, again, I think like the situation in Philadelphia – um, you know, with Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman is probably the best example of it, where the owner loved Howie, and Howie's done a great job. Like, so the owner did the right thing in holding on to Howie, but like by keeping Howie in the building and then empowering Chip Kelly, you know, he sort of undermined Chip Kelly because Howie's still there, and Howie feels like he's had his, you know, what chopped off, and you know, like, so he's, you know, obviously motivated to tell the owner where Chip's going wrong and it made for an awkward situation. And so I do think like keeping a guy who's once had power and who clearly has the owner's ear, um, even if you try to strip him of power can create really awkward, awkward um, situations across your football operation that you really don't want. Albert, let's, let's go to the miles situation. Miles getting benched for a series against the Saints, he's been really up and down this year. You know, there was the yeah. car accident. I mean, even in his tone, there, there are times where he seems to throw people under the bus. And then, uh, like two weeks ago, he came out and had this passionate defense of, of Joe Woods, a guy that we all know he wants fired. I just, is there a sense that Miles is getting impatient with things in Cleveland? I, You know, maybe. I, I, I think, like, one of the things with him, like you've empowered him by giving him the contract, right? Like once a guy has a contract, like he has, um, if a guy wants to say something, if a guy wants to, um, if, if, if a guy wants to, you know, like take his foot off the gas, he can't, you know, and that's part of the whole deal. And so, you know, I think that's why in a lot of cases you'll see like those guys involved in big picture decision-making. Like when, you bring a quarterback in to sit in and, and, you know, head coach interviews or office coordinator interviews. That's why you do it because you know, the guy's got the power anyway. And so like, you know, like you want him to be bought into whatever you're trying to do. And so I think it's like one of those, like where, you know, in miles, if he's not being used the way he thinks he should be used or, um, you know, the defense isn't playing to his potential and he wants to voice it, he can voice it because he's got the leverage of having that contract and knowing, 
like A, I've got money in the bank, and B, if they were ever to let me go, I would have an enormous market, you know? So I, I just think it's sort of one of those sorts of situations where when things aren't going well around him, he's got the power to say it. And I think anybody who's been around Miles knows he's a little bit of a free spirit. So, you know, sometimes he is, you know, there are going to be occasions where he is going to let loose that way. I know you already said Gerard Mayo on your halftime uh, Twitter live. Like <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, I, I loved that. Uh, any other names we should watch out for if the Browns do make a, a move, a defensive coordinator? Yeah, I think Gerard would be good because Gerard has already done a lot of the things that go into being a defensive coordinator. Like, he runs the meetings. He doesn't call it on Sundays, um, but he runs the meetings. He is, you know, a huge piece of game planning. Um, and he played in the league, you know, so he'd have instant respect from everybody. And I do think, like, Cleveland's in sort of a unique spot with him where I, I put it this way on Gerard. Like, I think he'll go – I think he will, would want to go be a defensive coordinator somewhere if he's not a head coach in this uh, – during the he doesn't become a head coach through this cycle. Um, but I don't think he wants to move his family twice to become a head coach. So I think he wants to be somewhere close enough to New England where commuting would be doable. And Cleveland is that. Cleveland's close enough where he could – like to some degree commute. Um, so like, I think, you know, like that, that, that's a fortunate circumstance for the Browns. And I do think like having somebody like him, who's creative, who's smart, who succeeded at just about everything he's tried to do, um, you know, would be good. Like outside of him, you know, I think you could dig into like the staffs, like in Philadelphia, you know, Jonathan Gannon's done a fantastic job. Cleveland native has done a fantastic job there. Can you find somebody on his staff? Um, you know, D'Amico Ryan's obviously in San Francisco. Now they've gone through two coordinators, you know, and Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryan's who've upheld a high standard there. Like, so San Francisco would be another team where you could go and look and see if there's somebody on that staff. Um, I don't have like an obvious name other than Gerard, but I do think there, there, there'd be guys out there on those staffs that, that would be worth taking a look at. Albert, uh, since we only have you for a few more minutes here, I did want to look around the NFL. Um, are the Raiders making the right decision here with Derek Carr benching him for the rest of the season, clearing the decks to potentially move him this off season? I think they are because I, I just think, you know, you look at where they, where they were um, when Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler got there. Um, you know, really, I think that they were sort of in this like weird spot where it was like they were in the playoffs last year but there were some clear holes in their roster. And the question was, could they coach around and play around the holes? And I think it's pretty clear that to some degree, at least they misjudged the roster in thinking like, okay, like we're going to go out and be able to play great offense. We can mask some of the issues we have in the offensive line. And then all we'll need on defense is to be able to cover and rush. And they have obviously the two guys to rush in Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. Um, you know, I think the the issues they've had on the offensive line, the issues they've had up the middle on defense have prevented any of that from coming to life. So, you know, I think now what you're looking at is where, I, like, the idea with Derek Carr was, like, let, let's, let's hope that we can be happy with him for four or five years. And, like, that'll give us some runway to find the next guy. And maybe we find that next guy after two years. Maybe we find him after four. But either way we give ourselves flexibility. It's the Alex Smith in Kansas City model. And I think, like, the availability of Jimmy Garoppolo really hurts Derek Carr here in that, like, now they can look at the, – the Raiders could do that contract and they could say, okay, we'll give him a year, 
And then after a year, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be available, who Josh McDaniels has background with. And we can make a conscious decision on whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is a better long-term stopgap than Derek Carr is. And, oh, by the way, Tom Brady is going to be available, too, if we think we're close. And so I think that's sort of the way the Raiders played this. And I just don't think Derek Carr played well enough to head that off. You know, I think it was sort of where it was like a 17-game trial, where it's we'll see if Derek Carr can play well enough where we're not going to want to go after either of those guys. And I just don't think he's played at the level he, he needed to to, to to fight off the, the the temptation there for Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler to go and bring in a quarterback that they have familiarity with from New England. Albert, we've got about uh, 75 seconds. Where does yeah. Baker Mayfield play in 2023, and where does Sean Payton coach in 2023? I think there's a good chance Sean Payton's back in the booth of Fox. Um, you know, I, I, I'd i say that the one caveat is Denver could, like, just drive a prank Brinks truck you know, into his house. And, um, you know, I the Walton family obviously has the financial wherewithal to do whatever they want, you know. So I, I, I think Denver could do that. I, that said, I... I still have a hard time seeing him wrapping his head around the idea of working with Russell Wilson in Denver or tying his future to you know the ownership in Arizona, the quarterback in Arizona, and it doesn't look like the Chargers job is coming open. So, you know, absent him going back to New Orleans, which I think is possible, I, I, I think that the, there's a decent chance that he winds up back in the boot or back in the in the studio with Fox next year. Um as for Baker Mayfield, I, I think he's sort of set himself up now where he can be somebody else's stopgap the same way I just talked about Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo being that guy. And, you know, I think like his ability to adapt to the scheme um, in short order in Los Angeles, it, it tells you sort of what you need to know on Baker Mayfield, which I think we learned in 2022 when he was playing for Cleveland, which is when a lot of things are right around him. And when he's getting coached the right way, like you can definitely, you, you, you can definitely win with him. You know, now you're not going to win because of him, maybe, but you can win with him. And so I, I think he's probably back in Los Angeles next year. And they pro- and I think they, they, the way they look at him is he's our first swing at eventually replacing Matthew Stafford. But I certainly could see a team that's like planning to draft a quarterback, like say like a Houston, and it says, well, like let's bring in Baker Mayfield to be our starter for now until the rookie's ready. I think that's probably the next step in his career. Albert, great stuff, buddy. We appreciate everything. You gave us a lot to react to. You basically uh, figured out the rest of the show for us. We appreciate it. (laughs) Happy New Year, man. Thanks so much. Hey, go Bucks. Go Bucks. Do you guys think the Browns need wholesale changes? That means Stefanski and Barry. That means Stefanski, Barry, and and Deep Podesta. That means uh, considering extreme things like trading one of your best defenders. Or do they need tweaking? And, and I guess that's where it's funny because if you listen to Albert, there was one, what I think would constitute a major move that he seemed kind of, he seemed like it might actually be a possibility. And that was the deep Podesta thing. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I think people would look at firing Paul deep Podesta as a win for football guys, because Paul D. Podesta is a baseball guy, and he's which, by the way, people in baseball didn't like Paul D. Podesta 20 years ago. He was the outsider then, but I don't think it would necessarily means the mean the Browns stop uh, favoring analytics. You have a full fledged department of analytics, 
an analytic uh, an- analyst, that's the word I was looking for, that can help Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. I think the problem is, and I think the mo- I, I think this is something Jimmy Haslam really has to ask himself. Does Paul D. Podesta need to wield the most power in this organization? Does he need to wield substantial power in the organization? And here's another one. Do we still need Paul D. Podesta? Or is Paul D. Podesta's way of doing business getting in the way of the Browns football people doing football things? Because another thing that Albert said that I uh, completely agree with, he said it's disingenuous or it's, it's not right, it's wrong to call Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry analytics guys. Andrew Barry played in college. Andrew Barry um, came up in the scouting ranks in Indianapolis. He's just analytics friendly. Uh, Kevin Stefanski came up on a staff with guys like Brad Childress and Leslie Frazier and Mike Zimmer. Those guys are not analytics guys. And I've always wondered, when Kevin Stefanski says, well, our offense is based in the run, I've always wondered whether that's how he truly wants to play and is maybe held back hamstrung by um, other voices in the organization or whether Kevin just this whole time prefers to pass. It, it also, by the way, might be a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But I think the Browns have gotten to a point where really intelligent, and I mean really into really thoughtful, small, I would say, I would say small, but tweaks to the organization are necessary. My bloodlust after another disappointing Brown season is not that hard to satisfy. It starts with Joe Woods, but I think making a move on Paul D. Podesta would go really, really far. And I think it's interesting that Albert Breer seemed seemed to kind of say that that looks like something that could happen. He didn't seem to, because usually if if it's not likely or not going to happen, Albert will just say, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. If Albert says, you know, that one might make sense, I, I have a feeling that's informed speculation. Let's go with Joe. Joe, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Nick, how's it going, man? Doing Happy well, my guy. Happy New Year, buddy. Thank you. Just wanted to touch base. So I think about some of the other teams in the league. I, I agree with Albert. I don't think there needs to be an, an overhaul completely. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the teams in the league, like the Ravens or the Steelers. You know, they draft wide receivers so well. I'm wondering, obviously, Andrew Barry leans heavily on the scouting department. Just wondering, do you think there might be some tweaking that needs done in some of those position groups, like interior defensive line, wide receivers, some of these groups that have kind of been weak over the years for the Browns. Just, just a thought, just maybe that's where the tweaking starts, and then they kind of move into some of the higher-level leadership roles like coordinators and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense, too. Uh, you know, we've talked, and I thank you for the call, Joe. Happy New Year, buddy. Uh, we've talked in a very, like, high-level Joe Woods, uh, you know, coordinators, um, GM, analytics head, head coach. Uh, one of the best and smartest things I've seen done in sports about 20 years ago, uh, the Guardians were not having, at that time, Indians were not having any success 
drafting players. It was in the midst of the rebuild. It ended up leading to Victor and Travis Hafner and all their talent, pretty much that era outside of CC Sabathia and Victor, pretty much all their talent came from waivers or trades. And they just, they weren't developing guys. They had consistent high picks. They just weren't developing guys. And so Mark Shapiro revamped that player development system and revamped their scouting system. And then you saw Jose Ramirez signed and they drafted Francisco Lindor and Kipnis was drafted, I think, the year before that. And all of a sudden, they started having a really fruitful minor league situation that, by the way, continues to today. Those were tweaks. That wasn't firing Mark Shapiro. That wasn't firing Chris Antonetti. That wasn't, uh, although I do think they ended up firing the manager at the time, eventually, Eric Wedge. Thoughtful tweaks. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.